Hello, Path 11 podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us today. We have a few announcements before we get in today's show, and we're going to be speaking about cranial sacral therapy. We just wanted to let you know that the Path 11 podcast app is available for download for the Apple iOS, iPad, and iPhone, the Google Android, and also Amazon Kindle. We're also going to have our trailer out for the next film, and we are looking to launch that next week, but we are going to launch it specifically on the podcast apps first. So if you want the first sneak peek of the trailer of the next film in our trilogy, be sure to get that downloaded. And now I'd like to introduce Marjorie. Marjorie has been in private practice as a cranial sacral therapist since 1995 and teaching since 1999. She leads programs in cranial sacral therapy, beginner through advanced, and enjoys mentoring practitioners. Marjorie was invited to be the first cranial sacral instructor at the Center for Natural Wellness School of Massage Therapy in Albany, New York, and has taught there for nearly 10 years. She is the author of a chapter in the book, Working Wonders, Changing Lives with Cranial Sacral Therapy, published by North Atlantic Press. All right, so we would like to welcome Marjorie Chisari to our show today, and we're going to be speaking about cranial sacral therapy and hopefully a little bit of embryology, if we get a chance to do that, Marjorie. Um, But I have been interested in cranial sacral therapy probably for a couple of years now. I have heard about it. I have heard people say wonderful things about cranial sacral therapy. Usually when um, in conversation with people talking about medical stuff, somebody will either say, oh, have you tried acupuncture? Have you tried cranial sacral therapy? And I never really knew what it was. And this is actually how I came to find Marjorie. I finally decided to look somebody up locally and try some sessions. So I'd like to uh, brag a little bit and say that she's my own private cranial sacral therapist. (laughs) But... um, but I'm still, you know, learning about what cranial sacral therapy is just also from the experiential um, aspect of it. And it's been pretty amazing. But Marjorie, for people maybe who have never heard of it before, can you begin to give them a brief introduction to what this type of therapy is and what it does for the body? Okay, I'd be very happy to. And thanks so much for asking good questions. <laughs> um, So craniosacral therapy is such an interesting therapy to try to describe because it's incredibly subtle and yet it is incredibly powerful and hopefully April can attest to that. But so when you begin to describe the work to people, they will always say once they've finally tried a session, oh, no wonder I didn't quite get what you were saying, because I think the experience is challenging to put into words. The the felt sense of receiving a craniosacral session involves um, often feeling a lot of movement in the body, having um, perhaps some images floating through the brain. Um, almost as if you're watching a movie. A lot of people have that experience and they'll say, oh, that that was really weird. It was kind of like dreaming, but it wasn't. It was kind of like imagining, but it wasn't. Um, A lot of things, those are only two of the many, many possibilities that people might experience. And since not everybody has the same experience, it makes it challenging to describe. So the best thing that I can do is say, well, this is how I am working with people. This is how I'm addressing 
human beings and their experience is always their experience. So is that a good way to start? Yeah, absolutely. Now, okay. in, and in your office, you have, you know, a lot of posters that, you know, you can take a look at the skeletal system, things of anatomy. Right. So if you can go into like how cranial sacral therapy helps the body and what exactly is it doing? Right. What are we doing is a good question. What are we doing? So now I've told you what it might feel like from the perspective of a client. And, um, but that doesn't really explain how that would be valuable either. But what craniosacral therapists are doing is approaching the body in a unique way for body work. We're not looking for a particular system to address. We are approaching the body as really essentially a bag of fluid. We are more fluid than anything else. We are an adult is anywhere from 75% to some say close to 95% water, depending on your level of health. Um, the newborn is way up there in terms of fluidity. And when I say fluidity, I'm talking about watery, what, you know, all different kinds of water in the body. There's, there's our blood, there's our lymph, there's um, cerebrospinal fluid, which is found throughout the brain, up and down the spinal cord. Um, there is interstitial fluid, which means the fluid, there's fluid within the cells. Every cell is mostly fluid, and the space between cells is mostly fluid. Um, urine, of course. So we are, we are really like bags of water where there is no tissue, no cell in the body that isn't, in a healthy person, mostly fluid. So craniosacral therapy connects with that. And in a way, we say, well, I'm a bag of fluid, I'm a fluid body, and I can connect with another bag of fluid, another fluid body in this way. So regardless of whether you're having an issue that is physical, that might be muscular or in the joints or an illness that's affecting organs, or you're having even emotional issues, which of course affect your body and your functioning, we're saying, well, if we pay attention to the entire body and we welcome the fluid body to come forth and, and move because always when there's dysfunction, there is a lack of movement. You know, there's no one's going to tell you, Oh, my shoulder really hurts and it moves great. It just doesn't happen. You know, whenever something happens to us, what we feel is some version of immobility. And that's true with our, uh, emotional life too. If we're feeling stuck, then that means we're not feeling mobile. We're not feeling potential. We're not, we're not able to move forward. So that's what we do that I think is different from any other modality that I'm aware of. And what we're actually doing as practitioners looks like nothing. Mostly it looks like nothing. We're, we're using a very light touch. People stay dressed um, people can be on the table, laying with, on their back, on their belly, laying on their side, 
Often children will want to start seated because they feel more secure that way, more safe. So we can work with somebody in any position. I can move my hands around a person and make many different contacts, or I can work by the bedside of someone who has all kinds of um, connections, you know, to allow them to uh, be surviving in the hospital and just hold a hand and still give a session that way because I am paying attention to the body as a whole via the fluid. Great. Wonderful. Now, um, can you also talk a little bit about the science behind it? I know you said that yes. our conversation can go in so many di different directions, but I am curious to know a little bit more about the science uh, behind this type of therapy. Okay. Um, so there's, we, we have total respect for, and it, I think it's really important to understand as much about anatomy and physiology as we can. And that understanding includes where we are now as adults and where we began at the very beginnings of our life in the womb. So we study embryology. And we study embryology for several reasons. Um, it's a beautiful thing to use metaphorically as you begin to understand what the embryo looks like and how fluid the embryo is and the fact that when we begin and when we're in the womb, we are essentially bubbles within bubbles within bubbles, fluid within fluid, where obviously um, the fetus develops in the amniotic sac, which is transparent fluid around the, the baby, the developing baby. And when we f are first coming along, shortly after conception, when cells are dividing, we're basically transparent. Not only are we super tiny, but we're basically transparent. So much happens in the first eight weeks after conception, and that's the, the meaning of the term embryology. That's the science of the first eight weeks of development. Then we're, then we're a fetus. Um, so why do we care? Why do we care about embryology? Because essentially the entire body develops in those eight weeks. It is completely miraculous. We begin as a cell. Every single one of us was a cell carried within our mom from the time she was a five-week-old embryo in her mother, which means the cell that became every one of us, that became the egg that became every one of us, was carried around in our grandmother. And that's pretty trippy to think, well, all right, so I started within my mom's body in my grandmother, and of course she was in her grandmother, and she was in her grandmother. So it's a pretty awesome thing to consider just that piece. And we start as one of five to nine million cells and that gets pared down by the time each of our mothers was um, a teenager. She was down to about 200,000 cells, um, egg cells, excuse me, egg cells. And one of those is you. One of those is me. And so that we're here to begin with is pretty incredible. 
And then as we develop as embryos, there has to be a point at which we are, if you'll excuse the, the expression, perfect. We have to be perfect or the embryo would not have continued to grow. So many embryos do not survive. And often they don't survive and the mom hasn't even realized she was pregnant. So, you know, we can take any parts of the, this discussion of embryology and say, wow, I'm amazing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it sounds funny, but yet it's true. And so the person for me, the person on my table, I'm not thinking about, let's say the person on my table is named Susie. I'm not thinking of Susie as an embryo. I'm not trying to imagine Susie's particular embryo or Susie's particular mother. I'm relating to Susie saying, we have this shared history. We have this shared creation story. You know, we all began this way. We all began as humans. We could only have been human. In other words, um, science tells us that even though embryos of all different living creatures begin looking very much alike, they never are. They are their cells could only have been, our cells could only have been human. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. So the cat, you know, can only be a cat embryo and, and fetus and kitten. And so we are, we are human beings right from the start, developing as human beings. And there's a level of perfection in that fluidity um, that we can trust because we wouldn't have been here if, if, if that wasn't possible, if that wasn't happening for us. And then you know, we look at the embryo, we look at its development, we look how we look at how the cells um, emerged and um, cell death happens right from the start. And that's that's another amazing thing that um, we know both life and death and health um, right from the beginning because cells die out and they actually become, if you will, food for other cells. So they're part of this, this cellular um, metabolism of the embryo. So there's all this movement, fluid, 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 cells are moving to the outside of the embryo. They will be the future placenta. Cells are moving to the inside. They will be our future bodies. Cells are surrounding this teeny little body um, to support it fluidly. So there's so much going on, and I could go on and on about what happens after that, but um, we know for sure that even an, a very elderly person who is recovering from something or who may even be moving toward death is still, that body is still reflecting the original embryo in terms of development, in terms of health, in terms of wholeness. So in terms of, um, yeah, there's an underlying perfection in every one of us. And some people will call that um, a fluid matrix, um, blueprint for health. You know, you'll hear different terms for it. So... So that is one of the reasons why 
it feels really good to to learn the details of the embryo and and then kind of apply that so so let's say somebody comes to me and they're having um, stomach issues for instance and they're very much affected because of these stomach issues you know they might have pain that isn't just in their stomach they might have some reflux they might have um, you know, all kinds of different issues related to who knows what at the start. But if I can, if you will, listen to and respect and support my client as a whole and even allow in my imagination to just sort of drop into that beautiful fluidity of the embryo when there was perfect health, even if that was only for a very short time, then there's something that happens. There's something really beautiful that happens there that allows the person on the table to settle. And I often will use some verbal guidance, like a, ver like a guided meditation to help them settle too. And then maybe at some point during the session, I'll actually put my hands over the stomach area to, uh, for many reasons, including just because it feels good. People like to be comforted where they've had some pain. And I know how the stomach developed in the embryo. I have a picture of that in my head of, of how the stomach developed from what's called the gut tube, which is one of um, a series of midlines that develop in our early bodies, our embryos, from which all our organs and parts essentially develop. So I can just hold that. And again, it's not, I'm not saying, oh, I want to have an image in my head or I want to access her particular developing stomach. No, I want to be um, sensing more universally. I want to just be saying, okay, you know, I know that there was a point at which this person was completely perfectly whole, fluid. She's still perfectly whole and fluid, but just to be able to sense that and maybe imagine in my head that gut tube, that developing stomach. And it sounds kind of crazy, but there's a, there's a softness and a gentleness in that that people can really feel. And as I always tell my students, if you're going to put your hand on a body part, acknowledging that part of the body, you also have to say, okay, here I am at the stomach, but I'm still aware of her head to toe, front to back, side to side. I'm still aware of her absolutely three-dimensional fluid body, and therefore I have to be aware of my own. Because if I lose track of myself and I put all my attention in her, it's, it's not going to work out. It's going to almost close down. It's too invasive. So we really want to give a lot of space. And one of the ways we do that, so if I'm attending to your stomach, for instance, I'm going to check mine out. I'm going to sit there and pay a lot of attention to how my body is in space, seated in the chair. I want to be absolutely comfortable. And I want to go into my own stomach, my own sense of my stomach and Send some breath there and just allow it to relax. Because if I pay attention to my stomach and I notice that I'm holding tension there, that's not doing anybody any good. Because 
we're mirroring each other back and forth. It's almost as if like a baby and a mom, the nervous systems are so connected. So we have to respect that. We're, we're really in training with our clients by, by holding this space for them to, almost as if they're able to fill out and find, and find their own fluidity. And I love it when clients say, I feel everything moving. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're there. And not everybody says that. You know, there are many people who say, well, I couldn't really feel anything in my body, but I can say that I've never felt so relaxed. Um, you know, or they have, their, their experiences are never all alike. But I feel like as people, I feel that as people have craniosacral therapy over time, I always like to call them craniosacral sponges. All ages, people become craniosacral sponges. It's like they lay down. And sometimes people will say, I'll still be puttering around the room. And they'll say, wow, I'm, you know, just laying on the table, I'm already here. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. It's like, um, yeah, we, we get really good at, at dipping into this, this fluid body system. It, it, it's as if you... You can imagine if you have something painful going on in your body and if you can take the time to imagine that area being simply fluid, you know, and maybe you see it as a river or maybe at first it's a river with a lot of boulders in it and you just trust the water to make its way through and you just play with that. I think, it, I think it's not hard to imagine why that might be valuable. And then, of course, at the end of the session, we all have to come back to our bones and muscles and organs and blood vessels and, and nervous system because we need to get up and move forward in the world. So, Yeah, when I hear you give that description, one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, if you're, you have your client on the table and they are there probably because they're experiencing some sort of discomfort pain, whether it's emotional, psychological, physical. Mm -hmm. But then I, I go to think about the vibration of thoughts. And then if here you are as the practitioner, but you're holding them in a thought of perfection, mm. that that seems to be where the healing takes place. Because that thought that you're holding, to me, seems to be of a very high vibration. That's true. I would say that's true. Although we don't you know, that's not, for me, that's not part of the teaching modality, if you will, teaching of the modality, but I would absolutely agree with you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it, it certainly feels that way. And the reason that we want to know not just about the embryo, but about how we function with the anatomy that we have, how all of our systems are working together it's because when we make contact with another human being, we bring this intelligence and respect for the body. And that allows us, I always say, to communicate with the body in ways we might not be able to if we didn't have that information somewhere, pardon me, in our own brain and in our own body. So in other words, I'll give you an example there are so many different parts of the brain, and uh, I personally find it really very difficult to memorize 
them all. Um, but I kind of know where so many of them are and have a sense perhaps of what they do. And so it's always amazing to me to hold somebody's head and all of a sudden have this real clear picture of where this person is working, where, where in the brain, in our complicated brain, something is happening. And, you know, if I didn't know anything about the brain, I don't really, you know, I think it would still happen, but there seems to be something that is more, more potent there. If I can say, oh, yes, I recognize that, and I'm going to hold, I'm going to continue to hold in this very gentle way and just sort of drop in and notice, you know, how things are moving. Oh, there's a little stuckness there. I'm just going to go again. I'm going to go back into my own head and just make sure that that stuckness isn't coming from some tension that I'm holding and just offer this um, sort of this clean and fluid slate. And then when I drop back in, oh, there it is. That structure is showing some motion or has a different color to it or a different texture to it or something that something has changed. So I never will say, oh, this is what I want this to do. That, again, is invasive. You know, I, I can't do that. I, I have no way of knowing what the timing for you as a recipient is. You know, maybe you need to do whatever your process is over many weeks, over months, over years. Maybe you've been doing so much work, you're ready to just make this happen in one session and it's not something that either of us is consciously deciding. The body has its mysterious processes and... Um, the slower we go, the more we can um, invite the person on the table to, to allow things to shift in his or her own time on any level, on all levels. And I know a lot of this sounds very woo-woo, but it really, it really, the more you get into the study and practice of the work, the less woo-woo it is. <laughs> I love it when my students, I have many students who come in and say, oh, you know, I'm going to get this in a snap because I've spent most of my life meditating and I am right there. And they are the ones who invariably will say to me when we're, you know, a couple of years into uh, the three-year foundation training that I teach, and they'll say, I had no idea what it was really like to be in a body, to have a sense of my body, to understand the parts of my body and be able to access them. This is amazing. I never really understood what it meant to be grounded and rooted as a human being on earth. And when people say that, uh, I, you know, it's just, oh, I love it. It's so exciting. Yeah. And I always say, you know, we... The only way we can really help human beings, other human beings, is by being human beings ourself, ourselves. We can't, you know, I, my goal is not to be a super human being. My goal is to be a real, complete human being with all the flaws and all the potential and, um, yeah, and the, and the ability to be not just still, but to be present. 
and to be okay with offering a neutral presence, no judgment is really hard to do. Mm. (laughs) We are super hard on ourselves. We are our own worst critics. And new students will often say, I feel like I'm not doing anything, so that can't be right. Because we're also good at doing, doing, doing. To say, okay, can you just be comfortable in your own body holding this space for another human being is no small thing. Right. Now, in speaking a little bit about the science, too, have has there been any case studies? Is any of this actually, is a human body studied before and after cranial sacral therapy with any medical diagnosis and seeing? Yes, yes. You know, it's a it's a great question. And there's, uh, I have a friend of mine who has put together a whole craniosacral research blog. And she just collects whenever she locates research, she plops it in there for all to see. Um, I actually have a link to it on my website. If you want me to open up my computer and check it out, I can tell you what the link is. Do you want me to do that or no? Um, yeah, well, we could also put that in the show notes, but, um, okay. yep. Hold on. Okay. I have your website open right now. Um, so if you go down to the links page, links and resources, I think it, yep. Yeah. So if you go down, you'll see that there's craniosacral research. Okay, great. We'll make sure we put that one yeah. specifically yeah. in the, in the show notes. So, so people can actually go to that link there and read Mm -hmm. a little bit more about the research that's being done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's an interesting thing because it's, it's awfully quantitative. How would you put it? Um, that's the wrong word. It feels subjective in a way. Okay. Because you can say, Oh, I've had craniosacral therapy from Marjorie and now I'm going to go I'm going to move to another state and I'm going to have craniosacral therapy from this other person. And there's going to be something different about it. It's just like any relationship, you know, you can have a, you can have a best friend and then you have another best friend and there's a different aspect to your relationships. Not every relationship is the same. That's made it rather challenging to, uh, to sort of parse out in a real scientific way. So some of the research, well, a lot of the research is reliant on how people feel before and how they feel after. Hmm. You know, what do they report? Um, Have their symptoms decreased over time? Are they more relaxed over time? Um, It's been a challenge to actually say, we're going to study craniosacral therapy exactly as um, as we study people's response to, you know, a particular medicine, for instance. So there's, there's a bit of a challenge, but it's great to see that there's research being done. And we see um, wonderful results. For instance, there's been research looking at migraines. Um, I'm trying to think offhand some others. Years ago, uh, Dr. Upledger, who's no longer alive, he did a lot of research doing craniosacral therapy with autistic children, and that's really valuable research. Um, and I think that can still be found at the Upledger um, website. I think there's a link there for research done through that institution, but I can't tell you for sure exactly where, what the link is. I think I might even have that on my website too. But Okay, great. We'll definitely direct our it's, listeners. It's, it's out there. Um, 
I give to my beginner students an article by a doctor who years ago thought this was all bunk. And then he had some sessions and he thought, whoa, something's going on here. And so he wrote an article about how he, he did some research on where the mind is, um, uh, where the body is in, um, in a sleep state. You know, what, what zone are we in? What state are we in, I should say? And so that was really interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely make sure that our listeners um, get connected to those links so that because we just don't have enough time to get into all of it. But um, I remember right. during one of our sessions, and it was a little bit similar to some of the embryology stuff, you kind of gave a little bit of a guided meditation. And the part of it that I thought was really beautiful, and maybe you could speak to this, was how our face develops from the heart. Ah. Yes. So the face in the embryo, at this point in our development, which is little more than a month past conception, the face develops against the heart. The heart at this point is like the biggest part of the body. In fact, the heart, if you were to compare now, if you imagine the space between your chin and your pubic bone, that's how big the heart is in comparison to every other part of the embryo at that point. Huge. So the face, the head, were so flexed that if you were to look at the embryo at this point, you would only see the top of the embryo's head. You would see the developing brain and the space between the brain and the ventricles, um, but you wouldn't see the developing face. It takes some time. The embryo is constantly flexing, folding, and extending and lengthening, and the fetus continues to do that. So I always think that's so fascinating because the face is, is that's our social nervous system. You know, we, our face is so important. When the baby is born, the baby looks to make eye contact with his or her caregiver and mom or dad and baby lock eyes and they the baby's brain begins immediately to learn not that she, not that she hasn't been learning her whole time in the womb or most of her time in the womb but she's learning about her world and so i just love the idea that our face is dependent on our heart I just think, you know, it's, it's true and it's also beautiful to continue to use metaphorically. You know, how do you feel, how does one feel when one realizes that, you know, we have tension held in our face and you allow that to soften? And then you go to your heart and you say, oh, you know, if I actually can pay attention to my heart and my heart space, when I make that little smile, I can feel the difference. There's information going back and forth all the time between brain, all our organs, and you can feel the difference. You can screw up your face and get angry, and you can sense that. How does that feel in your heart? How does that feel in your digestive system? So we're constantly, we're linked, and we are linked right from the start. So, yeah. And even with, you know, the first thing that I also think about is, I mean, granted, when we are face to face with somebody or we are meeting somebody, if I feel that like our energy fields kind of introduce ourselves to one another, but the face is basically the means of human 
um, communication. You know, we can tell so much by people's eyes, facial expressions, the, um, you know, people will use the expression, the eyes are the window to the soul. And just thinking that, you know, that our face is kind of created from that spot of where the heart is. It just, it's just a beautiful thing to think about. So, right. And at that point, the heart is already beating so that it's still developing. It's still not in its final shape by any means, but there's a pulsing that is already happening that's helping to move the cells that are forming the face. It's helping to create the face. So, yeah, it's, and I, it's really lovely. It is. And I will say, you know, just from experience too, um, with being on your table, you know, there are times when before you begin the session, you know that you're gently touching my feet, but then your hands will come off of my feet. And it really, I can feel motions of being kind of pulled in one direction to the right and then to the left. And I've had experiences of feeling like I'm spinning on the table and twirling. And the touch, like you said, is so light and so subtle, yet there's a major experience that is happening in the way that you can feel, at least, you know, the words that I use, my energy field just moving Mm -hmm. throughout the entire session. It's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And the other thing about working with the fluid body, which I didn't mention, is that, you know, the fact is that we are constantly, our respiration is full body. You know, every cell is um, releasing fluid. We don't see it, you know, unless we're sweating, but we're constantly, our whole body is breathing and this respiration is going on constantly. So we, you know, we, we like to talk about the energy field around us, which in fact exists. We have this literal cloud around us. Um, that is, I feel like it's very much part of our space. So when we talk about our energy field, it's still so much a part of us. And if you think about the fluid body and you think about the embryo being within this um, fluid uh, membrane, this beautiful bubble that's surrounded by a transparent membrane. It's like, oh, I've always had this. This is mine. This space around me belongs to me. And we are very aware if we have somebody wanting to share that space with us, whether we're comfortable or not. So, I think that there's a lot of validity to that. And so when you throw in a little, I hate to say it, but you throw in a little science because I'm no scientist. It, I think there's, um, it gives it a meaning that is very helpful to many people. It grounds that, oh, I have this energy field and I've always had this energy field. And there's a reason for that. So... I think I kind of got off on another track, but no, that's great. When you were talking about vibration and you were talking about um, connection, you know, now we know that the electromagnetic field of our hearts from the HeartMath Institute, where we know that we extend from our heart, we're sending out a signal that's at least thirty feet in every direction around us. So yes, when you're on my table or somebody's on my table and I'm sitting there next to you even before I actually have hands on, we have a heart to heart connection. We just do, you know, nobody can say that that's not true. Um, and that's really powerful. That's really, really powerful. We have to, as practitioners, if we don't 
respect that. And we don't allow ourselves to drop into this neutral space. Um, then it becomes, there's an element of interference that goes on. Yeah. So, well, yes. Thank you so much for um, joining us and giving oh, us welcome. a very small, small introduction and sample into cranial sacral therapy. But your website really does have a wealth of information. I love the links um, to all the things that you put on there is really great. And people can find that on the tab that says links and resources. But can you let people know what the name of your website is? Yes. My website is craniosacraleducation.com. Um, cranio, C-R-A-N-I-O, sacral, S-A-C-R-A-L, education.com. I love the fact that you have the links and stuff like that so people can just delve a, a little bit into their own research if they're interested. So, Yeah, because we didn't get into the concrete things like why anybody would come for craniosacral therapy. I mean, one of the things I think is that everybody should try it, but of course, I can't really just say that. <laughs> that's not very useful. Right. But there are, you know, and that's on my website too, is like why would people come specifically for this versus something else or in addition to something else. Right. So I guess that's a topic for another day. But I so appreciate you doing this. And I'm glad I was awake because the last time I did an interview, I was like half asleep. It was late at night. <laughs> <laughs> so this is great. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. We'll talk right. soon. Okay. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show.